1: To look outside and I get to look at you. So, this is the first day, full day of our retreat, and um, I have the feeling on a day like this that I would like to just keep going for one year. This group, same schedule. Maybe that strikes fear into the heart of some of you. <laughs> but actually, um, I love the way that on the first evening there's all this work uh, trying to introduce some of the form, and then within a day it just starts uh, uh, working. And um, I can already feel how the the nerves in the room start to settle. And, um, And my nerves and my, my heart settle, and uh, so it's great to be locked up here with you. Um, and another thing about this place is that um, a lot of our habits can get suspended here. Uh, and the interesting thing about having some of your daily habits get suspended is, uh, other ones show up. And so, um, maybe, uh, anxieties, old ones, new ones that are old, uh, might show up. We'll see. And maybe, uh, some real peace, uh, might overcome you once in a while. Maybe you'll see uh, what samadhi is. And uh, it might surprise you. And uh, if you see any of these things, you're really lucky. Um, Dogen ha- had a name for this, he called it the way seeking heart. Someone whose heart is really seeking the way. And uh, I'm going to talk about Dōgen this afternoon, and for the rest of our time on the retreat. Uh, Dōgen was a 13th century um, Japanese uh, poet, and um, eventually uh, one of the most famous uh, monks, and he was an abbot of what is still a functioning monastery in Kyoto. Um, I have a friend who was there for a year who told me that it's worse than the military, and he's been in both. (laughs) Um, And he said, and I'd go back any day. Um, And uh, I I love Dogen. Uh, There are so many texts that we read where you don't get a sense at all of the person who wrote the text. And um, one of the nice things about Dogen is you really feel his spirit, and uh, his word play, and his um, uh, disdain for parts of practices that don't make sense to his own uh, life. And this way-seeking heart is really something that um, Dogen found when he was seven years old. And like I mentioned yesterday, when he was seven his mother died. And um, That's no small thing, you know, that's not just a sentence in biography. Um, For Dogen, looking at the incense during his mother's funeral in Kyoto, um, what came up for him was a way-seeking heart. And, you know, maybe this is what brought you to this retreat. Maybe there's something in your life that put you on a path, and, uh, or made you interested in the path. And maybe this is just one groove in your path. And um, the interesting thing about having a path is you know when you're off of it. And, um, I would say this is the way seeking heart. And, um, The interesting thing about this term, way-seeking heart, is it's a heart that is, uh, in a way, seeking freedom. But because it's the heart that's seeking freedom, it's not separate from you. You It's not like this old spiritual idea of a seeker who's always looking around, you know, mountaintops or whatever. It's just the way the heart moves through the world. And um, I think usually this uh, gets aroused in us when we're... uh, (coughs) seven. One of the most uh, spiritual experiences that I've had in my life was when I was seven, I was in grade two, and uh, my parents sent me to Hebrew school for the first four years of my life and I hated it. so I uh, created some ways of getting out of school, and uh, I'm not going to list them here. It might give you ideas <laughs> while we're on the retreat. Um, but I remember causing a lot of trouble in my classroom, and the principal calling my mother and asking her to her to pick me up. And um, I remember getting in the car and driving down Bathurst Street, and it was like a mist over everything driving home, and the car seemed so soft, and my mother was beside me. Everything was okay in the world. And it was an experience of, uh, it was an incredible experience, but it actually came out of suffering for days at school, just wanting to see my mom. And I think we all have this in some ways, no? That, you know, uh, we, we lose some kind of basic, sense of being at home in ourselves. And uh, what the the Buddha calls Dukkha. Dukkha doesn't really use that term. Or suffering. And how this motivates us to, to be on a path and to show up on this retreat. You know? And sometimes, you know, I I don't like to sound reductionistic, but sometimes I feel like most of our um, habits really come down to just like uh, look ma just to to actually have someone verify that you exist um, in a way that's bigger than uh, how you think you exist and for sure this was going on for Dogen and um, Dogen he uh, studied in China. He felt that what was being called practice in Japan was pretty actually superficial. And um, his heart was in China. And actually to travel in medieval Japan all the way down to China uh, was a pretty enormous undertaking. And um, this is what he did. And when he was on his way back, apparently um, he made several trips. and. Um, one time, uh, after being in a monastery in China and coming back, he met a, uh, a cook who cooked in a monastery. And he started asking the cook about the cook's practice of cooking in the monastery. And the cook just talked about it like cooking. It was just cooking. It was just cooking in the monastery for the people in the monastery. And Dogen was so upset by this meaning because he felt that this person didn't have a way-seeking heart. He felt this person was just in the kitchen cooking, but that the cooking was supporting people who were practicing. And that somehow his cooking didn't come out of way-seeking heart. And so many of Dogen's critiques, like I mentioned yesterday, his critique of the lowly job of a government official, had to do with uh, people who were not living a life that was trying to um, undo uh, the problem that occurred for them when they were seven, which is realizing our lives are impermanent and what really makes us satisfied or content. Um, And so Dogen uh, took to writing a text uh, that is widely studied. and. uh, is, um, called instructions for the tenzo or instructions for the cook. And a lot of scholars, um, say, because if you ever study Dogen, he can be very difficult sometimes to understand. And a lot of scholars say, if you just read the first four lines, it will make sense of the whole text. Um, so I'm going to start just by reading the first four lines of this text and, um, We'll see what Dogen has to say. So, Tenzo Kyokan, uh, instructions for the Tenzo. Lately, this has been translated by Ed Brown as How to Cook Your Life. Buddhist monasteries have in principle six stewards. All are disciples of Buddha and share Buddha activity among them is the officer known as the cook who is in charge of preparing meals for the assembly of practitioners I'll stop there so we we have two tenzos here we have we have a tenzo and an assistant in training tenzo Uh, Karina and Ryan, and um, their job is to uh, nourish us and to serve us. Um, It's a really hard job. And if you don't turn that job into a practice, then you'll burn out. Anybody who's ever been in a kitchen job knows that 12 hours a day in three days you're finished. Um, But if you treat your job as a practice, Um, then actually every part of the job can wake you up. So when Dogen's talking here about the Tenzo, he's also talking about all of us when we're on a cushion and when we're off the cushion and all the practices that we do that we call our uh, livelihood. Now Dogen quotes, of course, a Chinese text. And in this text it says, in order to offer nourishment to practitioners in a community there needs to be a tenzo from ancient times this position has been assigned to senior practitioners who have a way seeking mind eminent people who have aroused the thought of awakening so i like this what is an eminent person an eminent person in Dogen's mind is somebody who has a way-seeking heart and who has the thought of waking up. The thought of waking up. And it's interesting when you think about this in terms of food. You know How much food do we consume that is uh, produced by and uh, cooked by people who have no interest in your awakening? Amazing to think about that. (coughs) In general, well, one more thing about eminent people. Um, Another thing Dogen's saying here is that the core of the practice is actually freedom, total freedom from authority. And it's interesting, you come in a setting like this, or maybe you think of a monastery and you think hierarchy, Structure, authority, but actually the practice is designed to have total freedom from authority. And I think if you tell someone that they won't understand until they've sat down on a cushion in stillness, and then they've uh, maybe can get a taste of the the, the inner tyrant. You know. that internalized authority that causes us so much suffering. Um, In general, the job of the cook is an all-consuming pursuit of the way. If one lacks the way-seeking heart, it will be nothing but vain struggle and hardship without any benefit. One should maintain in everything a way-seeking mind always making adjustments in accord with that situation to see to it that the great assembly, the great community receives what is necessary so they are at ease. In days of old, and now he's just going to mention a few monks he respects, Guishan and Dongshan performed this job and many other teachers did too at some point in their lives. The duty of a cook over the course of a single day and night are as follows. First, following the midday meal, go to the offices of the controller. And so this would be like the accountant of the, of the center. This would be Monica. And get the ingredients for the next day's meal, rice and vegetables. Having received them, protect them and be frugal with them as if they were your own eyes protect and be frugal with everything at the center as if all those things were your own eyes i like that so this is how you should tie your boots and how you should sweep the floor and chop the wood and carry an axe and take care of everything as if it was your eyesight. Could you imagine how to do that? It's one of the reasons we bow before we get on the cushion is so we can take care to sit down and settle. So we don't just sort of charge in here knocking over people's things. After that, get ready the morning's rice gruel. When washing rice, preparing <coughs> vegetables, and so on, do so with your own two hands, with close attention and a sincere mind. This is actually a teaching uh, that a lot of uh, teachers have offered that I've found really uh, important. Again, these sentences, they, they, there's like different levels to them. You know, and each one is considered a technique for practice. And this technique that he just mentioned is doing everything you have with two hands. So when you carry something, carry it with two hands. When you're writing, to be sure that if you're writing with your right hand, you know what your left hand is doing. When you're walking, to walk with both hands. When you're sitting, to be aware of both hands. And you'll notice that usually when we're uh, um, distracted, we're doing something with one hand, you know. And you'll notice this um, uh, if you try it as a practice—that it brings a lot of attentiveness to what you're doing. Even right now, as you sit here, you know, to be aware of both hands, and especially with activities where you tend to use one hand. It's interesting in the yoga postures. You know, we're always aware of what both hands are doing. Both hands usually doing the same thing. So you can try this out uh, today and tomorrow in the next few days uh, to do everything that you can um, and that you're able to do, but using both hands, using both hands. Do not indulge in a single moment of carelessness or laziness. Do not allow attentiveness to one thing result in overlooking another. Do not yield a single drop in the ocean of merit. Even a mountain of good karma can be augmented by a single particle of dust. The rules for purity in Chinese monasteries say, if the six flavors are not provided, it cannot be said that the cook has served the assembly. So there are six flavors um, the footnote to this says the six flavors are bitter, sour, sweet, hot, salty, and plain, and all of your food in one day should cover all of these. And uh, this is part of Karina 's uh, recipe um, uh, program is to have you your taste buds taste all of these in one day. Um, bitter, sour, sweet, hot salty plain and The six flavors should be endowed with three virtues mildness, cleanliness and formality So it's not just what you're cooking but how you present it And what kind of mind you're cooking with and what kind of mind you're presenting with When examining the rice First check for sand. When examining the sand, first check for rice. If you pay careful attention to detail, watching when coming and watching when going, then your mind will not be scattered and the food will be replete with the three virtues and the six flavors. Now Dogen is going to give a koan for how to practice this and this is something we're going to try and practice also. Um, when Shwe resided at Dongshan, he served as a cook. So I'll tell you who, who these people are. Um, Dongshan is the Tenzo, and Shwe is the uh, assistant to the Tenzo. <coughs> One day, when Shuefang was sifting rice, Master Dongshan asked him, Are you sifting the sand and removing the rice? Or are you sifting the rice and removing the sand? Shuefang said, Sand and rice are simultaneously removed. In other words, I wash away both at the same time. So can you picture this? Uh, the assistant Tenzo, is, his job is to take care of the rice and um, to, to sift it and to make sure there's no sand in the rice. And Dongshan, who is a, you know, the master Tenzo, comes up to him and gives him a little koan to work with. And this happens all the time um, in stories about cooks where the cook will go up to somebody immediately in their work and ask them a question. And the question is meant to startle you. So in one story um, there is a, a monk working uh, with hemp and the tenzo comes up to him and says, um, what is the Buddha? And the monk answered, uh, pounds of hemp. And the teacher was really satisfied. With that. <laughs> um, but that's not going to happen in this story. So When you are sifting the sand, or when you are sifting the rice, are you sifting the sand? When you're sifting the sand, are you sifting the rice? Um, There's a few different translations of this that are very subtle, but I'll go through it one more time. Are you sifting the sand and removing the rice, or sifting the rice and removing the sand? Shuefang responded, sand and rice are simultaneously Removed. So he thinks he's pretty clever, right? I I mean, if I responded like that, I would think I was pretty clever. Um, But you all know this, right? If you're if you're if you're deep into sifting the rice, and you're also taking out the sand, it's hard to say exactly what you're doing, right? Both are being removed at the same time, and this is actually him showing his understanding of emptiness—that. there really is no sand and rice right there's just this act of working my i remember my brother who's a student of ed brown um went to go live with ed for a little while in uh, in california and the first day ed said you know come and and uh, wash the floor with me and so my brother said okay i'm just gonna get changed and i'll come down and wash the floor came down and ed has a big floor my brother uh, received a little sponge and a big bucket. And my brother said, you know, would you have a mop? And I said, well, the point is not to wash the floor. It's a good, good teaching, right? It's like uh, you don't really need to shovel all that snow out there. It will melt eventually. It's going to be warm. And the point is not to shovel the snow. The point is like to really get into the meaningless And actually, there's some part of what we think are the value of our self-worth that doesn't want to be in the meaningless. And um, so here, uh, (coughs) the assistant Tenzo, Schwefeng, responds by saying, um, well, actually, the rice and the sand are one. You can't even have rice without some sand. And they're one. And is probably pretty satisfied with this response. Um, and then Dongshan says well then what will the community eat in other words um, you're too deep in samadhi actually Um, it's like if you are out there and you really meditate on the knots in wood while you're chopping wood you'll stop And you'll just really get into the knots. And you'll become one with a piece of wood. But we'll be cold in here. If you go into the kitchen and and you're too slow with the carrots, then the Tenzo won't be able to prepare the meal. So this is what's happening here. The student in his cleverness says, Oh, well, sand and rice are one. They wash away simultaneously. And this is his expression of showing interdependence and emptiness and samadhi. And, uh, but then the teacher's right on him and says, uh, well, then what will the community eat? And Dongshen gets pissed off. What will the community eat? And Shui um, Feng overturns his bowl and knocks it over. And then Dongshen says, um, one day you'll study with another teacher. This is a puzzling (laughs) poem. Dogen really chose a hard one, actually. Um, So he's deep in samadhi. And so this is an example of a student who comes to practice because they just want to experience the high places. You know, we want to go outside and we want to see that one snowflake in the right light and... And we have this idea, and unfortunately we inherit these ideas for reading too many stories of people's mystical experiences. But actually what's really happening for us is we're sitting on the cushion and we have a lot of anxiety. Or we're sitting on the cushion and we're falling asleep. Or actually we have to sweep the floor in like people are in the way. You know. People are always in the way. And um, then we're frustrated because... Um, We just want this kind of mystical samadhi. And the teaching here is saying, no, actually. um, If you're too deep in the rice and the sand, um, and you see them as one, then what's everyone going to eat? Rice and sand? They can't have sand in their rice. They're not one. And um, brings him back to the relative level. And um, it really pissed the student off. And actually, this is my favorite part of the koan, is the the assistant Tenzo actually gets pissed off because he was attached to his idea of the sand and the rice as one. And so he throws the whole thing over. He knocks the whole bowl over. And the teacher says, one day in the future, you'll have another teacher. And actually, um, he ends up becoming... Um, the most famous tenzo in Japan and trained something like 1,500 tenzos in his lifetime. And um, I like the story because it doesn't end well.
0: You
1: know. Here's a little commentary on this koan. Zen master Dongshan and practitioner Feng were both serious about practicing the way. They knew that meditation, dedication, and chanting are not the only practices of the way. When Feng was cleaning rice, that work was his precious practice of the way, and the kitchen was a precious site for practice. Whenever and wherever we are, we are exactly in the midst of practice. Usually, to clean the rice means to rinse out the sand, the bugs, the dust, and the water. When we clean the rice, we should not only pay attention to the sand and the bugs, but also to the rice. We must pay attention to everything at the same time the rice, the sand, the bugs, the water. Mindful not to waste even a single grain of rice. Is the rice or the sand being cleaned? As soon as we ask this question, we're involved in a dualistic view. That's why Schweeffing answered: "Sand and rice are simultaneously removed." Then Dogen's commentary, which I think you'll find very interesting. Keep the white water, which you have washed the rice, and do not wastefully discard it. In ancient times, they used a cloth bag to strain the white water and used it to boil the rice when making gruel. Do not allow mice to touch it by mistake, nor any covetous idlers. Um, this is such an interesting comment on a koan that usually the comment on the koan is a poem, right? This is like an opportunity for the commentator to show uh, samadhi. And Dogen takes it as an opportunity to just offer more literal instructions about how to be in the kitchen. So I encourage you in your work practice um, to see how the insentient can really wake us up. Working with rice, working with carrots, working with the snow, that the insentient teaches us. The insentient technically means anything without a sense organ. And um, we could say that uh, if a toilet is enlightened, then the toilet can wake you up. If the axe is enlightened, then the axe can wake you up. If everybody in this room is enlightened, then we can all wake each other up. If silence is enlightened, then silence can wake us all up. And in a way, isn't this what we're doing? We're just doing what we can to make space for silence. And let the silence go to work on whatever it is we're experiencing. Maybe you want to make your thoughts slow down. Um, That's not up to you. All you can do is really create the conditions for the silence to take care of them. And maybe your nastier habits are only nasty habits because they don't have much space around them. They don't have much silence around them. And so here we're giving them silence protein. Uh, On the topic of silence, uh, one of my favorite poets, uh, Kobayashi Issa, writes, Even with insects, some can sing and some can't. is a helpful one to me. This happens sometimes in meditation practice where you feel like the person beside you is doing so well. They're so still. Um, well, sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. The same is true for us. Um, here's another poem by Isa. He wrote this when he was 50 years old on his birthday. He was the backstory is he had left a monastery, and now he was just out in the world using poetry as his practice. And um, But the only way to make a living at the time was the rich people uh, thought that uh, his poetry was fantastic, so he would do the calligraphy and then they would buy it, and the cost uh, uh, of that would um, benefit him, so he could live and wander and write poems. This is on his 50th birthday. Writing more shit about new snow, for the rich is not art. (coughs) Writing more shit about new snow, for the rich is not art. So here we are, another day, and um, I encourage you to take some of these pieces from Dogen. And, and I'm not uh, assuming that you understood everything I just went through. Uh, there are so many layers to this text, and uh, it's so thick. Um, but I'd like you to come away uh, with a sense that Dogen is trying to teach that what you're doing on the cushion and what you're doing outside in your work period is exactly the same thing. And those two things are both inspired, those two forms of work are both inspired by a way-seeking heart. And if you have a way-seeking heart on your cushion, it's not enough. You have to have a way-seeking heart in everything that you do. and then you can do everything you're doing with two hands and then your two hands are taking care of your activity as if you're taking care of your eyesight and then you can appreciate the snow and appreciate all the sounds in the silence and appreciate the food and how much goes into the food when it comes to your mouth And maybe you can even appreciate your life. You know, there's something bigger than what you think of as your life that calls you to come here. And now you're here, and maybe you can use this time to really appreciate your life. Um, To come into wholeness. And wholeness means that some things have a good voice and some don't. But the problem with meditation is like it gives everything in you a voice. Even those parts of ourselves we've been trying to silence. Oh, I don't want to hear that voice. One of the things that happens in our yoga practice is that when you feel things in the body, you can move with them and you can breathe into them and you can shift and change. And, and then sometimes um, um, we notice that through the movement, um, we're not actually uh, observing the true impermanence of sensation. We're really still in attachment and aversion, you know, kind of going deeper into what we like, avoiding a little bit what we don't like. And the hard part of the sitting meditation practice is that we, we sit still. And when stations arise in the body, we just let them arise and pass away. And to watch those waves all day long, <coughs> uh, is a real freedom. It's real freedom in that. So I feel like if I was a more uh, traditional teacher, I would, you know, throw my bowl over now or something. I'm not going to do that. You're supposed to demonstrate the calm. So let's follow Jogen's example and use this, this way seeking heart to really appreciate the space here, and the silence, and your roommates. It's so hard to appreciate roommates. That's one of the hardest practices on retreat. to appreciate all the ingredients in the food, all the ingredients in your life, this whole body. So I'll read one last poem to end this talk. Um, This is also from Isa. Um, uh, that this this poem was written after his uh, he had uh, Issa had uh, everybody around him died e- everybody um, his kids died his daughters his wife died uh, his parents died when he was young just death and all his poems have so much humor. Anyways, here's one of, uh, here's a poem that he wrote after his first daughter died. Uh, it was written in, uh, winter time in the twelfth month, which is right now. Here, I'm here, the snow falling. This could actually be used as a koan to this poem. Here, I'm here, that first line just has the word here. I'm here, the snow falling.
0: Thank you for listening to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rate us and leave a comment. Your feedback helps to distinguish us from the pack. You can also support us by word of mouth. Tell a friend or send a tweet. Finally, please consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Michael Stone. Even a couple of dollars a month will help us reach our goals. To learn about Michael's retreats and his online courses, go to michaelstoneteaching.com. Once again, that's michaelstoneteaching.com. With your support, we'll continue to build a community library about mindfulness and mental health that can be shared with the world. Thank you for supporting this community without walls.